Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Thank you for joining us to lead, learn, and laugh. Learn market knowledge and best practices to lead your company's success. And that is whatever type of company you work with as well. And laugh, I think we have to have some fun along the way. Well, hello, I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. I'm glad you could spend some time with us. Remember, if you have any questions or comments related to this show or about any commercial real estate endeavors, give us a call. Our phone number is 888 888- 612-SHOW. Or you can connect with us through your favorite social media or by Carrier Pigeon. That's right. (laughs) For a visit from our show, Carrier Pigeon, just put some $100 bills on your windowsill and give us a call and uh, we'll send them by. And you can find all our social media contacts at the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Today, we're going to take a look at how potential tax law changes could affect the commercial real estate industry. It's not what you make, right? It's what you keep. And how you manage tax exposure can make a huge difference in your returns. So today we'll share real estate tax issues and individual tax tips, including some year-end tax-saving strategies. Let's uh, invite our guest on the show here. Please welcome Linda Gold, Director, Federal Taxation, National Association of Realtors. Linda recently passed the 20-year mark as tax counsel at the National Association of Realtors. On behalf of NAR, she's an advocate for tax policies that both protect the enhanced ownership and investment in residential and commercial real estate. Linda, welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, thank you. Also, please welcome Anita Anand, J.D., Senior Associate, Resnick Group. Resnick Group is a top 20 national accounting, tax, and business advisory firm, well known for their depth and knowledge in real estate and tax credit services. They also serve a wide range of industries that include government, financial services, nonprofits, professional services, renewable energy, and technology. Anita, welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks, Michael. Good to be here. Also, please welcome Ricky Novak, CEO, Strategic 1031 Exchange Advisors. SCA 1031 is a respected consulting firm and qualified intermediary that provides real estate and tax consulting services for clients, structuring complex real estate transactions and asset dispositions. Ricky, welcome back, and uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, Michael, I'm still waiting on my check from the last show. <laughs> it's, uh, it's on my window seal. Just come by and get that one. Well, I'd like to ask you guys about the capital gains rates, and you know, it looks like whoever we get in the office uh, this year is going to need more revenues and we all have to be prepared or try to get prepared for it. Uh, Linda, what should we expect in 2013 for capital gains rates? You know, this is the great mystery is what will tax rates be in 2013. Uh, If Congress is unable to get its act together when they return after the election for their lame duck session, then the capital gains rate will go from its current level of 15% up to 20%. Now, in historic terms, you know, 20% is still not a bad answer, um, but it's nowhere near as attractive a rate as 15%. One of the things that we learned back in 1986 was that Congress can generate revenue with capital gains. They can do it by raising the rate and giving people uh, a grace period to rearrange their portfolios, or they can raise raise money by lowering rates because then people, there's a lot more activity in the market. We don't have a prediction right now on on what it is that Congress is actually going to do, but I think people should prepare for the possibility of a 20% rate come January. That's right, Anita. So if there's no change, if the Congress does nothing, 
uh, then they are going to go up by 5%, right? They are going to go up by 5%. But, you know, one thing to note is that this is not the first time we've been in this situation before, right? Back in 2008, when the rates were lowered, um, they were lowered for two years. And so we were pretty much in this very same situation at the end of 2010, looking at 2011, okay, what are these rates going to be? And at the very end of the year, they passed the Tax Relief Act, which extended it for another two years. And so now we're back again at square one, trying to figure out what Congress is going to do. And and as Linda has very well you know, articulated, we just don't know. Yeah. Um, and we're not going to know until we do know. And But the good thing is we still have, what, you know, two and a half months until the end of the year. Things yeah. probably aren't going to get done until after the election. Um, but that's still plenty of time for something, you know, some, some legislation to get passed. Right. I think it's important to note that in 2010, those changes weren't finalized by Congress until December the 17th. Right. So it was very much last-minute tax planning for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really true. But I, I, I would just inject the cautionary note there that um, the that was a much, much more cooperative group of c- Congress people than you have presently. <laughs> that's scary. And, you know, I, I, usually when I go to a cliff, I, I like to, to not get <laughs> real close to the edge. <laughs> but, uh, uh, we'll see what happens here. Well, let's talk about Obamacare and the 3.8% investment tax. What is it and how will that impact commercial real estate, uh, Linda? You know, what is it is, first of all, it's an abomination. Um, it, it was it was a piece of legislation that appeared literally 36 hours before the final vote on the health care bill. It is, there is an enormous amount of wrong information out there in the marketplace, out there on the Internet, um, about what it is and what it isn't. I thought if it was on the Internet, it had to be true. Well, that, I know. I know. Isn't that what all of us think? Oh, there was, there was one I saw last week that about had me shrieking through the street. Um, but in any event, the, 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 the proposal appears ready to come into effect. One way to think of it is that it is a backdoor way for um, Congress to tax the investment income of, of, of some upper-income individuals and to put that money in the Social Security tax and Medicare uh, tax funds, and, and, which is certainly something that people don't have to worry about right now. Now, mechanically, if you have less than $250,000 on a joint return, you are never going to have to worry about this tax. The tax in all events will apply, when it does apply, it will apply to, to not only capital gains, but also to dividends, also to interest, and also to what they what the statute calls net rents which is basically the amount of rental income that you put on your um, schedule e on your tax return if you're familiar with that at all it's a formula so one of the really hard things about this tax is that you are never going to be able to say to a client or to analyze as an owner um, whether or if you'll be subject to this tax and what the amount will be. Now, obviously, if you're selling properties for, for millions and millions of dollars and you're anticipating capital gains of millions of dollars, then the likelihood is very great that you will be subject to this tax. But essentially what you do is you figure out if, if you sell a property and if you have a capital gain, the first thing you do is figure out what your capital gain is 
and then you uh, grind that into your adjusted gross income. Then you apply a formula that 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 is that is that looks at both your adjusted gross income and at the capital gain itself. And then when you figured out those numbers, you pay the 3.8 percent tax on the lowest, smallest number. Now, that's a lot of steps, and it's a lot of bother. If you have been uh, operating a property for a long time that you own, you also have been wrestling with passive loss rules, Mm -hmm. active active income and passive income for a number of years. I think we'll we'll no doubt come back to that, um, but I can just, I can simply add to the complexity of it that, oh yes, you will have to worry about what is passive and what is active and whether you as a real estate investor can become qualified as active. Right. So to put it simply, if your income's over the amount you stated and you're selling a net lease investment property and you're a passive investor and nothing changes, then you'll, you're going to have a 5% increase in your capital gains tax and a 3.8% increase in the what the Supreme Court now says is a tax, right, on the, you call it abomination, okay, the Obamacare, and so you, you've got another 8.8% uh, tax right there, right, Ricky? Yeah, I mean, w- what you're essentially doing is in today's world, you know, you've got your federal capital gains rate, most states are also have a, an effective tax rate, mm-hmm. now you've got this additional increase of 8.8%. Um, so let's just use a round number. Essentially, you're looking at a, a, almost a 10% increase in your effective tax on the sale of an asset. And because next year the tax brackets, the effective rates within the tax brackets are also going up, really whether you sell something that you that is under long-term capital gains or something that's under short-term capital gains, which is also ordinary income, you're looking at that 8.8% increase. Right. Right. That's a big increase. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a break here, but after the break, we're gonna come back and we'll get a little into this a little closer and figure out some ways that you might be able to adjust things to come out a little better with these taxes, including the timing of uh, of your sales. So we'll be right back with more real estate tax strategies. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit agg.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com. And by Resnick Group, a top 20 national accounting firm focused on real estate. Visit resnickgroup.com. This is former President Bill Clinton, and I just want to say that when I have to buy or sell real estate anywhere in the world, I call Michael Bull. He's better than any intern I've ever worked with. Well, thank you, Bill. That's very nice of you and appreciated. Well, welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Remember, if you'd like to know the absolute latest on any commercial real estate-related subjects, check out our on-demand show podcasts. Shows are available on subjects like loan workouts, tax credits, capital markets, even a show on social media for business. There are lots of interesting shows to choose from. Just visit 
commercialrealestateshow.com, or you can catch them on iTunes and also available on your smartphone. Today we're talking about real estate tax strategies. My guests are Linda Gold, National Association of Realtors, Anita Anand, Resonant Group, and Ricky Novak, Strategic 1031 Exchange Advisors. And Linda, I'd like to ask you about this 3.8% investment tax, the Obama tax we're going to start with as January 1st. It starts right in. How is it affected when you're an active investor versus a passive investor? Talk to us about that. In, in 1986, Congress created legislation that said that essentially if you are a real estate investor, all of the rental income that you derive from your real estate investments is passive income, period. That had the effect of limiting your opportunity to use deductions that came from your real estate investments to reduce your other income. Everyone's learned to live with the rules now. No one likes them, but but they're there. So a real estate investor's income is almost always going to be treated as passive And there will always be limits on the amount of deductions that investor can use. There is a limited category of active investors investors in real estate. These are the folks whose business it is all day, every day, uh, to own, operate, lease, sell, manage uh, any real estate asset. And they are permitted so long as they uh, achieve... uh, so long as they're able to jump through a couple of pretty easy hoops, they are permitted to use their real estate investments to uh, reduce the other income. They are, they're complicated rules. Um, a limited partner is, is always, almost always going to be a passive investor. Uh, at the end, when that investor sells his or her investment, um, they actually might have a smaller capital gain than if they were an active investor. It's all down in the nitty-gritty uh, mechanics of the accounting, but sometimes for capital gains purposes, it's not so bad to be a limited investor. The active investors, on the other hand, they have different tax rules during the whole period of ownership, and then when they sell, They've got a full freight capital gain that they ha- are going to have to deal with in terms of this tax. And the 3.8% Obama tax, uh, the active investors are not subject to that? Is that right? It, 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 if they have a capital gain, it's a capital gain. Hmm. Uh, the active investors uh, still are in there to ultimately pull out their gains. And so they'll have capital gains. And the passive investors will have capital gains. There is no difference between them when it comes to the capital gain, although the amounts may the amounts for each investor might be different. But the capital gain is always going to be in this tax base. Michael, you can't one thing run, you can't hide. <laughs> yeah, I what mean, is, I think Linda, one thing that I'll I'll add uh, real quick on this point is you know obviously both passive and active are subject to the capital gains tax. The other question is, what about the revenue that is derived from the asset while they hold it? So we're not talking about a disposition event. We're talking about the annual income. Oh, oh, um, oh, and, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And so what yeah, we've and, seen yeah, is and, there is and, yeah, general conversation out there, 
And, yeah. and again, you know, there's a lot of questions and debate about whether indeed this would push someone into an active versus passive category. But, you know, a lot of real estate investors, especially when they first venture out into commercial real estate, they look for for less management intensive assets. So they'll right. look for net lease assets. The net right. lease market, obviously, right. cap rates have compressed. Very attractive market right now for investors. One of the questions that has started to develop out there in the industry is, would it maybe be better for an investor to invest in a double net lease asset where the the owner of the asset is responsible for some of the maintenance and repair on the building, would that be sufficient to argue they're now in an active category versus a passive category and therefore reduce the tax rate on the income coming off the asset by that 3.8%? And so I think you, there's going to be some planning strategies people start talking about. Do you, do, do you, do you think they work? I, I, that's a that's that's a it's a valid point. Do you cross <laughs> enough of the hurdles from a, a you know and, and again you know this is, these are things that our clients are calling with right now with their other outside advisors saying we're thinking about doing a ten thirty one exchange out of a triple net lease and into a double net lease because we think we might be able to move from passive to active and I think there's a question about is the activity of an owner significantly different in double net versus triple net to warrant an argument that they are now actively involved versus passively involved. You know, we, we don't pass judgment on that. And I think others here on the call, you know, we, we certainly have some accounting experts here with us, uh, but it's certainly become a topic of conversation that people are beginning to discuss. Yeah. And I'm, and I am, I am aware of that. Um, the, the kind some of the kinds of things we're seeing is the, is the, you know, is, is the ancient thing of, the doctors and lawyers trying to make themselves active, and and that's just a, a, a total head scratcher. Right. They they don't pass the other criteria, right? Right. Right. So, so to but so you're talking about the double net and triple net decision. That's based on a real uh, active that's already inactive, like myself. If I was buying and selling, because uh, I'm my mind comes all dried. Well, a lot from this radio show. It's making me really wealthy. <laughs> no, not really, not really. <laughs> but commercial real estate is where I make a living, so I am an active investor. So that might be a question for me then on the double net, triple net, because just the fact that I bought a triple net property, that alone for that particular property is what you're saying might become passive? Well, I, I mean, for me, I, I think it's it's a lot less, because if you're active, you know, it's really at the, the, the taxpayer level that we're looking mm-hmm. at. As a yeah. taxpayer, are you active or passive? Mm-hmm. A lot less so probably about the singular asset. And that's why for you, Michael, it's much less of an issue. But for someone who, you know, is a doctor full time mm-hmm. but owns a significant amount of real estate, the question is how much involvement does that doctor need to have to argue they're actively involved versus passively involved. If you own one singular asset, I think it's been really difficult to say that just because it's double net that you're actively involved. Right. But if you've got a doctor that owns 15 assets um, and they're all triple net, double net assets, you know, and they're you know they're looking at how could I be more hands on on this entire portfolio and get myself more involved. I think there's at least an opportunity to dis- discuss potential planning strategies. I don't know that, you know, anyone has has said they found the secret sauce yet, uh, but I think it's a planning opportunity that can be considered. Well, if I'm looking at 
people are looking at me active or passive, that means I have to get off the couch and start cycling at night to, to be active. Or does that? Does That's that, exactly <laughs> right. That's what you need to do. <laughs> That's it. Well, we'll have to go on the break here in just a moment. But you guys think more people uh, with all this 10 percent extra tax are thinking about closing properties and selling before the end of the year? Seeing some of that? I think so. I mean, I think it's going to depend on precisely what situation you're in, what you're thinking, what your exit strategy might be. Um, it's all a function of timing. And so that's going to really determine whether this is the time to get out or stay in. Yeah. And I think it's a good time to actually look at your situation. If you've got a property with a lot of gain and you know the taxes are going to go up and if they go up 10 percent, that can be a huge number. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you might see if you have time to close by the end of the year. Well, we have to take a short break. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit agg.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com. And by Resnick Group, a top 20 national accounting firm focused on real estate. Visit resnickgroup.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. How would you like people to come to your website to hear the Commercial Real Estate Show? Well, you can now download a free widget allowing your site visitors to access show videos and audio podcasts right on your website. Just visit CommercialRealEstateShow.com and look for the widget on the homepage. You can see how it works and easily download it to your site. And after you load it, it works automatically. Well, today we're talking about real estate tax strategies. My guests are Linda Gold, Anita Anand, and Ricky Novak. Well, let's talk about carried interest. I think a lot of people and developers and sponsors of real estate syndications are concerned about carried interest. Linda, uh, tell us briefly what it is and and what's the status? What what do you expect to see there as far as changes? Sure. This is one provision that I think is very dependent on how the election comes out. I think everybody's probably familiar with the idea of what a carried interest is. I'm a sponsor. I'm a general partner. I put a project together. I operate it. I add all the value to it. I keep it viable as a project. I put all the money out to the limited partners. And in return, the limited partners say, well, even though you don't have a whole lot of your money, of your own money in this, we're going to give you say, for example, 8% of the profits at the time that we sell the project at the end. That 8% that they give to the sponsor or to the general partner is called a carried interest. It just carries along while they own the property. Congress has been trying for five years now to tax, to change the tax rules that apply to these carried interests. Historically, they have always been treated as capital gains, and in my mind, there's no reason that they should not have been treated as capital gains. Um, But the legislation says that if you are a hedge fund, if you are a private equity fund, if you are a sovereign wealth fund, any of the kinds of entities um, where there are interests that are, that that one group of folks manage and operate and another group of folks collect their money from, then 
part largely because of the abuses out there in the hedge fund and private equity markets, where those guys were taking their earnings as capital gains also, Congress decided that that, that was just abusive. It is that phenomenon that creates the, the, the what they call the Buffett rule, where you've got somebody who's getting most of their income from capital gains. And so the efforts to um, tax the carried interest at an ordinary income rate have passed the House four times in the last five years. Um, however, they have never passed in the Senate because Senator Baucus, the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, is very firmly committed to what I think is the right answer, and that is real estate is fundamentally different from securities. Anybody who's invested in real estate knows to the bottom of their toes that a real estate interest is different from a securities interest. It just is. And um, we've made some headway in, here in Washington trying to move Congress from that um, position, but no luck so far. If, if the Democrats were to retake the House and hold the Senate and Obama were to um, win the presidency, I think there's a fairly great likelihood that we would see carried interest legislation again. And I think that there is a slightly better than even chance that um, it could pass and get and be enacted. Well, that would be interesting since, you know, they just passed the, the Jobs Act, which uh, you know, that should help uh, these syndicators raise cash. They'll be able to you know, advertise for investors now. So it seems kind of the opposite of, of you know, what our president's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is really generated in Congress. Um, it, it never it, and but it, yes, you're exactly right. They go in two different directions, um, but this would not be the first time. Right. So what do you expect to see uh, if Obama is not reelected? If if we have if if Obama is not reelected and we have um, a Republican sweep, then this this concept of taxing the carried interest as ordinary area income, that concept will disappear. It will be gone. It will be as if nobody had ever thought of it. So if, if we have what folks are calling a status quo election where the Republicans hold the House, Democrats hold the Senate, and um, Obama re, uh, is reelected, um, then it's going to be dicey. Again, nobody's quite sure where the issue will go. It has not been the passion that it was when it first started down the road, um, but I, I, really am, I, I really think we're a little safer on that than we would be on some other areas. Okay. Well, you've heard it here. We have to take a short break. More tax-saving strategies for you. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit agg.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com. And by Resnick Group, a top 20 national accounting firm focused on real estate. Visit resnickgroup.com. 
Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We do have some very interesting shows coming up for you, including a show unveiling the Emerging Trends Report. This is a remarkably accurate report looking at commercial real estate trends expected in the coming year. It's produced by ULI and PwC, so uh, be careful. Don't miss that one. Be sure to catch shows of special interest to you. Sign up for a once-a-week email announcing the show topic at commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're talking about real estate tax strategies. My guests are Linda Gold, Anita Anand, and Ricky Novak. And Anita, I'd like to ask you about bonus depreciation, cost segregation. What's going on there? What do you expect to see? Well, uh, the good thing is that this past this year and then last year, um, taxpayers have been able to take advantage of bonus depreciation. Um, and last year, they were able to elect to depreciate. 100% of their asset in year one. This year, they had the ability to do that 50% in year one and take the remaining 50% over over um, the, the depreciable life of the property. Um, in 2013, as it stands right now, bonus depreciation is expected to be gone. And so we're going to revert back to our original, traditional, regular depreciation methods, which means that essentially taxpayers are going to be recouping that depreciation over a longer period of time as opposed to just a couple of years. Um, what we do see when bonus depreciation is around is a spike in the interest um, in getting cost segregation studies done because essentially what a cost segregation study does is it'll go in, focus on all the individual assets of your property, um, analyze exactly what you know depreciable life each asset should be classified under. Um, in order to you know qualify for bonus depreciation, your assets need to be under a certain depreciable life. Um, and so the cost segregations kind of help do that because they help move some assets, which would traditionally be depreciated over longer lives into some, some lower categories and then classifying them and making them eligible for bonus depreciation. Um, in 2013, as I said, since bonus depreciation is not going to be there, you know, not to say that the, the need for cost segregation studies isn't going to be there either, um, that it still provides its own valuable benefit, but it's not going to be intended to help qualify taxpayers to get that 50% or 100% bonus depreciation that they've been used to in the last couple of years. Right. And Linda, I'd like to ask you, you speak around the country to commercial real estate folks. And with all these taxes uh, coming into effect, uh, what are you hearing? Are, are people saying they're more inclined to, to go ahead and sell now? What do you hear? Um, they, the kinds of things that I've heard have been that, that no one appears to be rushing to market. That it doesn't appear that there's going to be a big sell-off. Uh, they, I, I think that a lot of folks are, are, are hoping for a little bit more appreciation than we've had. Uh, this has surprised me because I, I, I think that anybody would say that it's not very likely that we'll see a lower capital gains rate than 15% anytime soon. Right. And, and Ricky, I mean, if you do have a lot of equity in a property, uh, what are some reasons why you, you might go ahead and sell now? Well, it really comes down to, you know, what is the goal of the investor? I mean, you know, everybody has their own financial goals. Um, if, if you're somebody who potentially needs some liquidity and you're thinking about selling in the next 12 months, then it would be foolish to not sell before year end because of the, the various tax increases we've already spoken about. You know, other people just like to reset their basis. Uh, you know, they, they may be looking at, you know, other uh, kind of portfolio type transactions coming down the road. And if I can sell now, take my capital gains hit at a, at a lower tax rate, reset my basis going forward, then when I sell down the road, I won't have as much gain built into the property that I'll get hit at higher tax rates. 
Uh, that makes sense. And you do 1031 exchanges with clients all around the, the country. Are you seeing that heat up? And what do you expect uh, with 1031 exchanges? you think that'll get affected by tax changes? you think that'll hold tight? Or? Well, in, in looking at year-end planning, we always have a lot of phone calls starting to roll in and around September as people are trying to figure out should they try to do something before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you our call volume has been a little heavier than it has been in the past few years. Uh, it does appear that the yeah, it looks like a call center over there now. I yeah, I know. Yeah, we, you know, all, all those people everywhere t- answering the phones. Um, but it, it really, it really, we've seen an increase in call volume because people who are speaking to to their accountants and trying to make some some you know put some plans in place understand that that if they don't sell this year, what the effect would be next year. Um, we we certainly expect that we will see an increase in 1031 exchanges. Uh, if you are increasing the effective tax. Uh, on your gains by 8.8 percent, uh, that you know that's going to have a significant impact to your bottom line. Uh, so we do expect that we will see a greater volume of clients choosing to do exchanges versus simply selling and cashing out. It also comes down to the nature of the investor. Uh, there are two types of investors. There are people that are real estate people, and they really want to stay invested in real estate. And then there are people that aren't quite as sold on real estate. It's within their portfolio as an alternative investment. They could stay there. They could go into some other private equity opportunity. They could put the money back in the stock market. For people that are real estate people, and they know that investment real estate is what they plan to do, uh, my general belief within my clients is they don't really care where capital gains go. Whether capital gains is 15%, 50%, or 95%, they know they want to buy more real estate. They know that 1031 is there for them to take advantage of to defer the tax, so they're going to do the exchange. And Linda, quickly, we're short on the break, but is 1031 going to escape the axe? So far, so good. <laughs> we're aware of no proposals that would change it. Okay. And so everyone else thinks the same thing here, Lita? Yep. Uh, yeah. I would agree. Yeah, the only right. thing that we've we've heard Congress talk about at some point in time you know, 1031 applies not only to real property, but personal property. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, the things that it applies to is art and collectibles. And we've mm-hmm. seen over the years the IRS discuss, should it really apply to art and collectibles? Are those really maybe more used for personal enjoyment than investment? Uh, and we've also had discussions over the years of land not being deemed to be like kind with improved real estate. Um, on all fronts, as Congress has discussed these things over the last five to ten years, they ultimately have decided not to, to mess with it. Okay. Well, collectibles. Heck, I mean, I'm going to sell my Hot Wheels cars. I was about year, to say, so. your, your, your Barbie collection is safe, Michael. Don't worry. <laughs> you didn't have to tell everybody about that one. Well, in a moment, we're going to have some tax strategies for year end for you. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit agg.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com. And by Resnick Group, a top 20 national accounting firm focused on real estate. Visit resnickgroup.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking about real estate tax strategies. My guests are Linda Gould, Anita Anand, and Ricky Novak. And Anita, I'd like to ask you about some year-end tax strategies for our listeners. What should they be thinking about? 
Well, there are a couple of things uh, people can be thinking about. Um, first of all, uh, you know, you've got charitable contributions, which is probably something that a lot of people tend to start thinking about towards the end of the year when they've kind of assessed where their tax liability is going to be. Um, charitable contributions, as, as many people know, do allow for a federal tax deduction. Um, and so, you know, depending on which tax bracket you're in, for example, if you're in the higher tax bracket, that could be 35 cents on the dollar. So there is good value there. Um, in terms of what you're contributing, you know, that could be anywhere from cash to non-cash. Um, uh, My Barbie collection. Your Barbie collection <laughs> could go. <laughs> um, but, you know, one thing that we, we had always, uh, you know, advise our, our clients is, you know, to consider donating um, appreciated stock, stock that's been held for over a year, because you know, you're going to get the fair market value of the deduction. So you're getting full value um, for, from the tax perspective. And then you're also going to be avoiding including the gain on that stock later on, right, especially with tax rates going up and, you know, so forth. So this might be a good time to go ahead and consider doing some of that. Um, another thing is, you know, with real estate projects, of course, there's always financing. Um, the last couple of years have been kind of stressful on the market. And so we've seen a lot of bad debts, a lot of distressed debts. Um, you know, so if you've got, you know, if you're a lender and you've provided certain financing and, and there's some debts that you know aren't going to be repaid, you know, go ahead and take a federal bad debt deduction on that, too. There's no point in carrying that on the books. So that could also provide some some benefit, um, you know, on on the federal level. Um, also, it's not so much just about tax incentives and what's available, but maybe just, you know, focusing on the timing of things, right? So in, in real estate projects, a lot of the developers, a very common thing is to get developer fees and get them, at, you know, scheduled times during the year um, over multiple years. And so the, what, you know, some people may want to consider doing is instead of getting a developer fee towards the end of the year, maybe pushing it back to January if you already know that you're going to be, you know, paying a certain type of a, federal tax liability, state tax liability, go ahead and push it to the next year, and that'll give you some wiggle room there. That makes sense. And talk to us briefly about tax credits, Ricky. Well, you know, at the federal and state level, there are often tax uh, credit and deduction programs that that, that investors can can utilize, um, you know, everything from low-income housing tax credits, which certainly have been around for, for well over 20 years now, and, and most people understand how they work, uh, new market tax credits, Credits from uh, everything from from film production to conservation easements, um, you know, and sometimes the benefit at the federal level is a credit, meaning you know you pay X number of dollars to to receive a certain number of dollars of credit, and you receive an actual certificate. So it's a pretty simple transaction. You know, I hand Michael Bull eighty cents, and he hands me a certificate for a one dollar tax credit. Um, I just save twenty cents that otherwise I would have paid to the government. So credits are certainly great um, from a pricing perspective. Uh, depending on whether it's a federal or state-based program, taxpayers can save anywhere from maybe 10 to 20 percent um, through leveraging some of these tax credits. And what's the timing on those film tax credits? Do they have to do that before the end of the year? Or? Well, you know, it, it depends um, on on certain credits, and you have to understand how the program is, has been created by either um, the, the federal government or by your state government. Some of the programs, you can buy the credits at any time and carry them back to previous years. So, for instance, in certain instances, uh, I'll give you an example. In the state of Georgia, the film tax credit, you actually can wait and buy that credit in April of next year, right before you file your return. In other instances, you uh, you actually are, are an unlimited partner in a partnership. So you actually invest into a partnership and you receive an allocation of the tax benefit. That's different than a certificate. You actually become a limited partner and you receive an allocation. In most of those instances, you have to become a partner in the partnership 
in the year for which the benefit is created. So if you want the 2012 benefit to be allocated to you, you need to invest in 2012. So that means you've got a few months to do your planning. And what's your website if they'd like to get more information on those? Sure. Um, our 1031 exchange firm is uh, SEA1031.com, and then the uh, investment bank is SCPIBank.com. So, good okay. information. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. We'll have another informative show for you next week. Thanks for spending some time with us. I'm Michael Bull. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit agg.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com. And by Resnick Group, a top 20 national accounting firm focused on real estate. Visit resnickgroup.com.